There we go. We are recording. Welcome back to Miskatonic Lit Remote Education Program Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History, the comics course. We are back with our jungle background music as we talk about the Black Panther. I have no course announcements for this week uh, from the department because and, and we're a day late with the podcast, which I apologize for. But Dr. Feckett has taken a short leave of absence, so I've been covering his classes. I'm sorry, people doing Beowulf. I know you didn't expect to cover a comic book version of Beowulf this week, but that's what you get when I'm pitch hitting. And uh, let's all give Dr. Feckett some space. He's upset. I'm not sure exactly what's happening but when I asked him what was wrong, he was crying and yelled, I loved that bitch. Um, so I think wife number nine might be gone. Already a number nine? What do you mean already? She's lasted like three years. I mean, for him, that's a record. I mean, never, never underestimate the drawing power of a smooth, smooth, whatever the fuck nationality he is. <laughs> I got no idea. But he's a ladies man. He shows up with that straight tie from the 80s, and they think he's ironically cool, and then three or, you know, 18 months into marriage, they realize, no, he just hadn't left the 80s. Okay. But, you know, whatever. Power to him. And her, and whatever she's going on to. What we're going on to is Don McGregor's run on the Black Panther. Which is probably better. Probably. Um, I have been drinking. Uh, Yunbi. Uh, head of the dietary program here at Miskatonic has brought me some wonderful Korean whiskey, which I've been enjoying. And uh, I'm I'm just going to, you know, if Dr. Feck gets out the rest of the semester, I'm just going to flunk all his classes. Screw him. I don't care. And all of you get A's, though. So, you know. I thought I was the one grading. Well, then you can just go spend more time at parties drinking yourself. Okay. So, all right. So, Jungle Action, starring Black Panther. Uh, the reference point I'm going to use for this one is not the original issues. The original issues are really hard for people to get a hold of at this point. So I'm going to use the Marvel Masterworks collection. Now, note, the interesting thing is that Marvel Masterworks usually collects the books that are actually titled, you know, whatever they are. Marvel Masterworks Fantastic Four or the books entitled Fantastic Four. Jungle Action was only featuring the Black Panther, and only as of, like, issue five. Um, but most people unofficially consider it Black Panther sort of volume zero. So the Marvel Masterworks of Black Panther, in fact, start with it. Um, now, this is generally credited to Don McGregor, Rich Buckler, and Billy Graham. We'll talk about that. The issues that Don McGregor wrote cover issues 6 to 24, although Black Panther's presence starts with number 5. We're going to talk about that. And we're only going to cover this class session, the first arc, which is Panther's Rage. We're going to leave the next session versus the Honky People, uh, sorry, Ku Klux Klan, for the next class session. Um, and where it went right and wrong. But anyway, so, if you want to go along, I will include in the show notes a link to Amazon to buy Marvel Masterworks of Black Panther. Now, it is hard to talk about Black Panther at this point 
without race. And that's probably a good thing because Don McGregor was not trying to avoid race when he talked when he wrote the Black Panther. Um, there is some history I want to cover up front, and if you do pick up the Marvel Masterworks collection, I think it's worth reading Don McGregor's introductory uh, comments, his introduction to it. Uh, there's some interesting information there. I'm certainly not going to regurgitate it all here for yourself. Uh, I mean, all of you can read, even if you're theater majors. Um, you know, at least at a fifth grade level. So you might have to look up a few words, but you'll manage. But the it was an interesting time of the world. You know, this started... Black Panther's previous appearance was in Avengers 62. Now, I covered the Avengers issues last time, and I hadn't refreshed for this class session yet. So when I hit Avengers 62, I thought there must have been some Black Panther appearances after that. Because I, for some reason, have this memory of this particular fight sequence in the comics after which Black Panther says, I am done with y'all honky superheroes and y'all bullshit and I'm going back to Wakanda where they need me. And that wasn't in Avengers 62. So I thought it must be in a later issue. But in, in reviewing, uh, in fact, he just disappears. There is no Black Panther in Avengers after number 62. He is just ridden off and just, boop, he's gone. He just said bye? I mean, there's not even a bye. He's just not there anymore. He just, he physically ghosted them? Right. So that was in 1969. Now, Jungle Action uh, doesn't come out until 1973. So we've had four years without Black Panther in the comics. Now, during, this was an interesting time in the world and an interesting time for comics. Uh, just to give you a few landmarks of what were happening uh, in 1973, uh, the DEA was established, the Drug Enforcement Agency in the United States of America. So, you know, after the hippie era, they started saying, we got to, you know, be tough on the war on crimes. This was years before the war on crimes was created as a name moniker, but the attitude started now. Mm -hmm. Um it was not until 1973 that the Education of the Handicap Act was federally passed in the United States, saying that people with handicaps had an equal right to education in this country. Wait, that wasn't always the thing? No, no. Oh, dear Lord, no. And I, I okay, look, folks, for those of you out there who are part of the post-2000 generations, and you're like, he said handicapped. Let's get an elephant to rape him. No, this is what the law was called. I'm not being socially insensitive. I'm naming something what its literal legal name is. Wait, you can't say handicapped? Handicapped is considered uh, inappropriate these days. You should know this. You're under the age of 50. Um, get your shit together, girl. But that's what they call it in laws. Well, the law is not very politically correct. Can you say disabled? No. You're not supposed to say all kinds of things that I'm not drunk enough to say yet. But we're going to pass on that because that's a long tangent that we don't have time for. Apparently. Uh, we'll mention David Bowie retired his character of Ziggy Stardust and did it like a boss. He had a, he had a final concert of his tour, walked out on stage, did his performance. So this is the final one. Then basically said, by the way, I'm David Bowie. Ziggy Stardust is dead. Mic drop and walked out. 
And people went, damn, <laughs> and meant it. Um, now, I mean, these are cultural touchstones, but there were things happening in Africa also. Now, let's keep in mind, Africa has, for a long time, kind of been the continent that white people shit on. Um, and, and I'm being very abstract here, but really, I mean, Africa was a, con a, 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 a country, oh my lord, a continent of resources uh, divided up among traditional tribal lines that then white people came into and divided up among nationalistic lines uh, in a European model, which many of them follow to this day. And if you look at, for example, at Ethiopia, Ethiopia is a nation, a region, a collection of people and cultures with incredibly rich traditions. I mean, just phenomenal I mean, if the world weren't so Eurocentric in its attitudes, we would study Ethiopia in schools commonly. Um, and they had been screwed over by the Italians, the British, all kinds of people. By the way, they're uh, right north of the equator, and originally Wakanda was placed along the equator, so they'd be neighbors of Ethiopia. And some people believe that Wakanda was basically meant to be a fictional Ethiopia. But it moved. But it moved uh, around frequently, like freaking rooms in Hogwarts. Uh, uh, Wakanda, Wakanda isn't actually a place, it's a moving circus. Right. And at the same time, you know, the Bahamas gained independence from Britain, another imperial power. Um, Bruce Lee died. In fact, in the same month that Don McGregor took over Black Panther and the first issue came out, Bruce Lee died, oh. uh, which we talked about in our Shane Chi discussion. Uh, it was also the same month, July of 1973, when one of the first victims of the freeway killer, Randy Stevens Craft, was found. And I know you're a true crime fan, so I put that in just for you. Thank you. Um, so, you know, this is the world we lived in. And Marvel was a mess at this time. Now, uh, by this point, I don't recall where exactly um, everybody at Marvel was. But Stan Lee had pretty much become distant from the day-to-day -day operations of the company. He popped in occasionally. He didn't know what was really going on. He was trying to sell Hollywood on Marvel, which he attempted to do for decades with no major success. He was enamored of the fame Marvel had gotten with cultural icons. So he loved meeting with designers and musicians. He loved going on college campus tours. And for a while, Don McGregor's Black Panther was kind of protected because it was very popular with the college crowd. Don McGregor himself has pointed this out repeatedly. In fact, I noticed when I was skimming it, this even mentioned in the Wikipedia article. And yet, it never really sold that great. So I believe, if you read between all the lines, what happened for a long time was that Don McGregor's Black Panther probably kind of reached a certain protected status because it sold okay, not enough to make it immune from cancellation, but it sold okay, and it was popular in the college crowd, which meant that even if Stanley wasn't aware of it, it probably was protected by editors who wanted to make Stanley happy, who wanted people to show up at Stanley's college campus tours and go, yeah, we love comics like the Black Panther, man. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I mean, and that's very much who Stan Lee was at that point in his career. 
at Marvel. So he was just the Marvel mascot at that point? Yeah. And he referred to himself as an ambassador, but he was basically a mascot. Okay. Uh, and he received a contract later on for life, for doing nothing, for being that quote-unquote mascot ambassador, whatever you want to call it. Huh. Yeah. So why did Don McGregor end up on this and how did all this happen? Well, Jungle Action actually started as reprints of old racist comic books, really. Now, there had been an earlier Jungle Action series, and it all featured the incredibly common tropes that everyone knows. The white man comes to save the black man from himself. And you'd think by 1973, the age of black power, the age of, you know, black cinema starting, of, uh, you know, black power movements, black is beautiful. You'd think nobody would, you know, still be doing that stuff, right? But they did. Oh, come on. And they were even reprinting old ones from an even more racist age in jungle action. And Don McGregor, a white guy from Rhode Island, basically said, we shouldn't be doing this. Now, a lot of people mistakenly believe that Don McGregor really fought for jungle action, uh, having the Black Panther in it. That actually did not happen. Don McGregor was a proofreader at Marvel. He basically just proofread people's script work. But he was vocal about this. And there was some sort of big meeting, and somebody, I don't know who, but somebody said, what we're going to do is we're going to start putting original material in Black Panther, and we're going to let somebody on the editorial staff, specifically original Black Panther material in Jungle Action instead of doing just reprints. And that... Tharn of the Jungle, a, a, a Khazar, uh, uh, Tarzan. Most amazing thing they'd ever seen in their life. I mean, no native man of dark skin can resist a white woman. I mean, the, the, this is the racism of the times, right? Yeah. Um, and then number five was a reprint of Avengers number 62. Mm -hmm. And then number six was the beginning of the Don McGregor run on Jungle Action, which immediately they, they took Jungle Action and made it relatively small text under the Marvel Comics Group banner featuring and then put in huge text so that nobody missed it, The Black Panther. Yeah, they have feature as a small little thing. I didn't even notice it at first. Right. So you're going to think of this as the Black Panther. Mm -hmm. And he immediately introduces the man called Killmonger. Um, which is, by the way, the most original name you're going to get in this series. Yeah, Don McGregor was a great writer. He did incredible things. But naming characters, was naming supervillains was not one of his strong points. There's a reason most of his characters have not persisted. Or at least the supervillains haven't. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Killmonger is as good as it got. And if you notice, this Killmonger 
is nothing like the Killmonger of the Black Panther movie. You know, that was a guy who looked like he could be in special forces. This is a guy who looked like he's a tweaked bodybuilder with a black Jerry Curl mullet and a disco outfit designed by a bondage fetishist. He looks like he belongs in like a gay nightclub. Isn't that what I said? I think that's what I said. I'm pretty damn sure that's what I said. <laughs> okay, whatever you say. Then. And um, the series is called The Panther's Rage. Now, uh, I don't know how true it is, but McGregor tells a story where basically he set something up and sent these pages through review and then snuck in and added the Panther's Rage part uh, covering up previous art on the first page before the people, after the people who reviewed it had seen it so that nobody would see it so he could sneak it through because he thought nobody would accept Panther's Rage because superheroes aren't supposed to be like that. And the initial page is great. I mean, uh, Rich Buckler is an amazing artist. Uh, as Don McGregor has told the story, uh, this this sort of low-selling, third, fourth-tier title would not have had any good artists on it, except he actually had the amazing luck to have artists, including Rich Buckler, step forward and say, I want to do this. Uh, otherwise, it would have had crappy art. And Rich Buckler's art is great. I mean, and when you see Black Panther on this initial page, you see those Kirby lines. He does not try to draw like Jack Kirby, but he grabs those Kirby details and just, he, he hits them. On our first page, we meet two characters who wear little feathers on their head, one with a yellow helmet, one without. These become our comic relief as the series goes on. Now, McGregor originally imagined this series to be about 10 episodes, and he imagined it in a very episodic manner, where there's a cliffhanger at the end of each and it moves on to the next kind of like the old film serials. Mm -hmm. It ended up going up to about 13, which is a pretty common number for film serials, too. And these guys are our comic relief. They give us some laughs, so the story is not wholly depressing all the way through. And there are a lot of dark, traumatic moments. And it becomes clear as we reach into these initial pages that the Black Panther has been gone a while. And it's... People don't really know what's happened to him. Now, probably the people in the palace, the people with access to communication do, but we quickly see a Wakanda where many people are still living, living tribally. Now, this is McGregor working very much off the Lee and Kirby image of Wakanda. So money is new. Technology is new. Most people in Wakanda leave tribal live tribal lives. And we see this very starkly through it. By the time we get to later years, like Reginald Hudlin's interpretation of Wakanda, the mythology of Wakanda has totally changed. Mm -hmm. um, but he, McGregor here is sticking with the Lee and Kirby. And this is early enough, 1973, when you could actually go out and go to a Marvel comic book collector and get every issue of Marvel comics ever and read everything a character had appeared in and base it off it, which is what McGregor did. Black Panther wasn't in thousands of issues of comics yet. The total appearances of Black Panther at this point 
were less than 20 comics. Yeah, you didn't have to go, okay, I want the last 50, 100 years of comics. Give me a second to go through these millions. Right. And one of the things McGregor was doing was, he said, okay, Lee and Kirby wrote the Black Panther and they established some character for him. Mm -hmm. The Avengers expanded him. We've not really seen Wakanda yet. So McGregor is the first one to introduce the idea of Wakanda as its own element in the comic books universe. He is the one that first establishes the space of Wakanda. Mm -hmm. And he does something else that's really important. Although I think he does it unintentionally. Because he saw himself as only building on what Lee and Kirby did. He says that he read everything Black Panther had been in because he didn't want to violate its, his mythos. And he does a good job of that. Now, when he says mythos, what he's talking about is what I defined in a previous class session as iconic elements. He's saying he wants to build on the mythology of Black Panther, and he doesn't want to violate any of the existing iconic elements because it will invalidate his own stories if he does. And he's right. He, I mean, again, I know some people criticize me for my harping on these iconic elements that define the mythological figures, but every time we talk about what comic writers themselves have said, they return in their own language to these same points. They get this. Mm -hmm. But he does, in fact, while not violating any of the mythology of the Black Panther, he substantially adds to it. Because while Lee and Kirby wrote about the king as a playboy. And he really was. He was kind of a playboy in, in his few appearances in the Fantastic Four. And then during his run in the Avengers, he was kind of the king as a superhero. Um, but here, what we actually have is the man as a king. Mm. And that's very different because we get an introduction to the idea of nobility and sacrifice in Don McGregor's Black Panther. Because the really great writers, the writers who really make a character amazing, aren't those who tell us that somebody is noble, that tell us that somebody will sacrifice for others. But like Captain America at their best, they're shown as men who are tired, who are weak, who break, and stand up again for what's right, despite it being hard. And that's what makes them noble. And it's really this series where Don McGregor does this, where we get Black Panther being kind of on par with Captain America as a figure in the comics. Um, although not with the same kind of level of exposure. So we're introduced to these comic characters, these amusing characters, uh, and then the Black Panther sees them harassing this guy in a cage. He beats them up. He tears the cage apart. As he does, the weakened figure inside says, T'Challa, my chieftain. And we get a kind of cheesy uh, uh, statement from T'Challa. There are few cages on Wakandan soil, loyal friend, for they cage the spirit as well as the body, and I shall free both for you. And the dying man says, perhaps the body, yes, but the spirit seeks its own flight. And he dies in T'Challa's arms. So we had 
a couple panels of comic amusement as we open in, and then Don McGregor hits us hard with an old man dying in T'Challa's arms. And welcome to Jungle Action featuring Black Panther. This is not going to be Yo Daddy's comic book. I present to you heart. I present to you knife. Yep. Um, and look at the art there. Look at the art as he tears those bars apart. I mean, it's muscular. It's dramatic. But it's not unrealistic. It's a bodybuilder. It's, it's an athlete. It's not the comical extremism of some comic artists. Mm-hmm. And then these foreground, as the man is dying, the, de- the slightly detailed foreground, that the further away you get to the dying man, the more abstract things become. And then the background just disappears into whiteness. And the man's body disappears into shadow under T'Challa as he hovers over him. So that your eye is drawn to his dying face instead of the other details of his body. These are great artistic choices to make your eye focus where the artist wants it to focus. By taking away detail in other places and drawing you into that narrow point. Mm -hmm. This is an example of how comic art can carry emotion and effectiveness powerfully. As the story goes on, T'Challa returns to the palace. We see that he's already returned. Uh, Monica, his American girlfriend, we find out as the series goes on that not everybody's happy about the American girlfriend there. They don't think she should even be in Wakanda and that he has lowered himself to being with her. But the heart wants what the heart wants. Mm -hmm. Um, We find T'Challa going out with others to check on this village that's been attacked by a figure named Killmonger. Killmonger, Eric Killmonger, is the one who is behind this old man dying. We find out that his real name is Najaka. Now, in the movie Black Panther, he was this child raised in America, the son of a prince. None of that's the case here. Mm-hmm. He Najaka was actually born in Wakanda, at one point when foreigners with claw came to mine vibranium illegally, they enslaved some Wakandans to do it and actually took some of the Wakandans with them when they fled. One of them was Najaka as a child. Uh, he was dumped in America, forced to become an American, and then eventually was able to find T'Challa after he became an Avenger, and T'Challa brought him back to Wakanda as an adult finally. And in America, he adopted the name Eric. So he's not of a royal bloodline. Uh, and he, for some reason, has a big grudge against T'Challa in the comics instead of America, instead of Claw. Even though T'Challa was the one that brought him back home by his request. Right. So there's all kinds of messed up stuff there. Uh, we also meet a couple of important characters very quickly. We meet Wakabi, who is the warmonger... Uh, head of security and sort of head of the military. He is very pro, go out, kill him, beat him up. Uh, and then Taku, who's kind of the head of palace communications and who is a pacifist. And he and Wakabi butt heads constantly. Wakabi is very unhappy about Taku and Taku's often disrespectful of T'Challa. And Waka- when Wakabi challenges T'Chaka on this, T'Chaka basically says, 
Taku cares. I would rather him be borderline disrespectful because he cares about people and be honest with me than apathetic because apathy is far more dangerous than passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is, you know, a statement that, that T'Challa's job is to care about people. Uh, we see the giant panther statue uh, in the main temple, along with signs of high technology. And we get this, this immediate dichotomy that T'Challa has been out here in the jungle. People are using spears. They're captured in wooden cages. He walks through tribal huts and then walks into the panther uh, temple where there's intricately carved stone and advanced technology. So we get the new Wakanda that's coming into the old tribal Wakanda. And this is a theme that we'll continue to hit on. And these characters, like Taku and Wakabi, will continue to pop up repeatedly. And I should mention at this point, uh, Black Panther was being published as a bi-monthly. It was every two months. And it was important to Don McGregor that characters show up in every issue who were important. Because otherwise... If they only showed up every two issues, readers would go four months between reading mm-hmm. their appearances. So he needed them to show up and continue their storylines in people's minds. So when he first goes out to find this village that's been attacked, he brings Wakabi and Taku with him. He finds out about Killmonger's existence. He goes to track down Killmonger at Warrior's Falls. He beats up the two comic relief characters again. And then Killmonger shows up with his pet leopard, Prey, spelled with two Y's. This repeating of consonants will come up again, trust me. And he gets his ass kicked and Killmonger throws him off Warrior Falls. Notice this is, of course, mid-film, one of the big scenes in the Black Panther movie, which they took directly from this. Eric Killmonger tosses him off the falls and becomes King of Wakanda. Now, he doesn't become King of Wakanda here. He just tosses him off the falls. People don't assume he's dead. He randomly floats up the river. Monica finds him, nurses him back to health. It's the 70s, the age of Marvin Gaye. Presumably got some sexual healing. And life moved on. Um, Marvin Gaye, sexual healing. It's a song in an album. Uh... Yeah. Don't put your white people values on me. This is a part of African American culture. Uh-huh. And the fact that you don't know Marvin Gaye, you need to know Marvin Gaye. I'm just saying. If you don't believe me, Wikipedia this shit. Okay. I feel attacked. That's because you are attacked. Thanks. Uh, as, after, as we see T'Challa falling, it says next, death regiments beneath Wakanda and Venom with two M's. Like Prey has two Y's. Because multiple consonants at the end of a name are cool. I Look, I told you Don McGregor was shit at naming villains. I don't think it's just villains. I think it's names in general. Wakabi hey, and Taku are fine. True. You got a problem with them? No. You don't like, you know, pseudo-African names that don't match any actual, you know, particular ethno group? Well, they might fit Wakandan. Or the Wakandas. Is this the Wakandas now? I don't know, Don McGregor doesn't say Wakanda's, and thank God, because that annoyed the crap out of me. That annoyed me, too. 
Uh, at the back, we find a map of Wakanda, central Wakanda. Now, what a lot of people don't know is one of the reasons they had this extra content at the back, which pissed off some of the writers because, you know, they felt like Don McGregor was doing too much. But he, he worked with artists and solicited extra content to put at the back because he was afraid that if he didn't, that in the, in the remaining pages that they had left over, that Marvel would print more of their old racist reprint stories. So he filled it up with whatever content he could get a hold of, including like maps of Wakanda, which were completely ignored later on, by the way. Totally. They make maps and they still get ignored. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Taku is pretty much ignored in the movies. Wakabi, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I'm so mad. Wakabi, Wakabi's representation in the Black Panther film is utter bullshit. I was so mad. Look, Wakabi was a warmonger, a war hawk. Wakabi wanted to bring out the tanks and fucking beat people up. But he would never betray T'Challa. He was T'Challa's bro. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would disagree with T'Challa. They'd get in yelling matches at each other, potentially. But he would never betray T'Challa. Mm-hmm. So the way he's represented in the film, I think is bullshit. That's... Not okay, man. Mm-hmm. I got issues. Uh, we'll get to more issues when we get to Christopher Priest's run on Black Panther. Mm-hmm. So we get to Venom. Venom's a white dude. You know, they kept saying they needed white people. Uh, one of Don McGregor's uh, complaints that he fielded from Marvel editorial staff was, where are the white people? The Avengers need to come in and save the Negroes' butts. I mean, it's not like Negroes can manage their own affairs. And Don McGregor went, what? I, okay, I know the Avengers are the premier superhero people of the world, but... Wakanda's a hidden nation, and this is a book about Black Panther. A, the Avengers shouldn't even be able to find the place. They wouldn't know about what's happening. And why can't we write a book about the Wakandans, where the Wakandans handle their own crap? And they're like, we need more white people. More white people, and it'd sell more, maybe. I I imagine that's what they were thinking, even if they didn't say it. Um, Well, anyway, they got a white person. It's only this, you know, technically this... Third issue of the run, and we got a white person already. I mean, he's ugly, and his name is Venom, and he has a snake fetish, and, you know, he's scarred and shit. But he's white. Good I mean, enough for some people. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, what are they complaining about? They just said white. And, you know, they're really creative. They put on the cover, Venom is his name, and murder is his game. All right, whatever. Um, so this was cover dated November 20 cents, uh, number seven. Got a comic for 20 cents. Wow. Anything for 20 cents. Yeah. So, so as this issue goes on, uh, we do get a couple of scenes that are really great. You know, one of the amazing abilities that Rich Buckler had was that he could draw women where he showed nothing and yet they looked amazing. So we get like these scenes of Monica walking down to the river. She's fully dressed. Then we get her in the river. You see nothing. But, I mean, she's all woman. I mean, he he was just great at capturing that female form and that shape without being explicit. Mm -hmm. It was really a great talent of his. And we see some interesting work with panels that Marvel, in fact, uh, was not a big fond, was not very fond of at the time. So at the top of the page, 
he has this unbordered section with text and these plant shapes and then a panel with some plants and then broken space in a panel that's offset and then a much bigger panel with a continuation that's offset and then a big panel two highly vertical thin panels then a different shape panel and that and the irregularity just keeps going on it, but it keeps pulling your eye around it reminds me of web comics Except a lot more freeform, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, web comics, web comics are stuck in a very and being a very certain size and format. I think some people do try to play around with that, but not as much as I'd li- love to see them do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in an age where just a few years after this, really, there would be a chief editor at Marvel who'd be like nine panels per page, medium distance. Head level defining shots every panel. Uh, th- this is absolutely radical compared to what came not long after, mm-hmm. as pretty much editorial decree by the late seventies. It- and it's wonderful. It's brilliant. So we meet Venom. He's a friend of Killmonger's. People question it. We then see a scene inside the panel. We get to see a very different representative T'Challa. That of course when he's Attempting to relax, he's not sitting around in a ceremonial hunting garment of the Black Panther. Um, we get to see him and his closest associates, including Monica uh, and uh, Watabi, uh, Wakabi and Taku, all sitting together talking. And it's clear these are the people whose input he really values. He ends up fighting uh, Venom, kicks his ass. We're told the next issue will feature a new character named Malice. As we meet Malice, the we get a big introductory double spread page. This was very rare at the time. And it's called Malice by Crimson Moonlight. McGregor has written about how this was inspired by work done on Nick Fury and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. title. And it's very cinematic, where we get this very ill-defined uh, background uh, with this chromatic effect, and then huge characters that say Malice by Crimson Moonlight with the action happening within the letters. Yeah, I was about I, to say, I like the pictures within the letters. It's very cinematic. I think it's brilliantly done. McGregor says he didn't think he doesn't think he did it as well as others did, uh, but I think it's wonderful. Uh-huh. And, and it's representative of how they tried different things during this time period, which I think is just phenomenal. Now, we meet an old man named Medellino. He'll have a part as the series goes on. He's sort of a what we might call a witch doctor. Uh, probably more accurate to call him an herbalist and maybe a shaman. Um, I'm not sure. They've not really explained the culture in terms of religion here very well, so I don't know how much of it is spiritual. But anyway, uh, we get here the idea that T'Challa must pass these physical tests and contests of strength to prove his worthiness to continue as the Black Panther, which is something that's built upon much more in later years, including seen in the film. And obviously, uh, uh, the shaman here, I'm just going to call him the shaman, because I'm not going to reliably pronounce his name. Uh, He is sort of, he's obviously very high up, because he's kind of certifying that he's still worthy to be the Black Panther. So there's probably some spiritual function 
to his office. Then we see Taku talking to Venom. Now, Taku and Venom's interactions confuse a lot of people who read this run of Black Panther because they seem to be very close friends. And there's a later scene where Taku essentially commits treason for Venom to try to get him, let him run free. And you're like, why the fuck would he do that? Well, it's because they're romantically attracted to each other. They're gay. And this is not idle speculation. Don McGregor has said his intention was for them to be gay and the first gay characters in comics. And even though they were separated by one essentially being a terrorist and one loyal that they met in prison and they couldn't help but feel a bond and be romantically attracted to each other. But politics being what they were, society being what it was, Marvel editorial being what it was, there was no way he could ever put that in the comic itself. So he put their interaction in it as best as he could, hoping some people would figure it out. You look like you have a thought. No, I, I just, just processing. You're processing. Because I've never heard this before. Well, there you go. Um, so in the course of this, Venom gives some of his background to Taku. Taku's sympathetic. Uh, we have a scene where Monica's sort of the ugly American. Malice attacks the temple. They try to break people out. Malice escapes. Venom doesn't. Blah, blah, blah. We move on. And at the beginning of the next issue, we have, but now the spears are broken. Now, this is kind of a fun scene because we see some stuff that's important being established. There's a runaway rhino that's about to run over a young child named Kantu. The panther grabs the rhino, rhino and kind of saves him. Rhinos are obviously seen in the Black Panther movie, so that's an interesting continuing element. Although these are not armored rhinos. Uh, but we find out that his father was murdered by Killmonger, and he's basically being raised by grandparents now, the grandparents are very different. The grandmother is appalled at the Black Panther having an American girlfriend. She's an outsider. Yeah, the fact that she's black means nothing to her. Because in her worldview, there are two people. Wakandans and not Wakandans. Not Wakandan white, not Wakandan black. Same people. And this is actually probably a pretty realistic idea of how a lot of people in a isolated society would view things. Mm -hmm. Their cultural identity is far more important to them than the color of their skin. And we saw echoes of this picked up in the Black Panther movie, mm -hmm. which can trace itself to Don McGregor. Meanwhile, the grandfather is Um Jumbach, who is addressed by name by the Black Panther, and who's like, oh my God, T'Challa knows who I am? Well, T'Challa attempts to know everybody that he can. Um, so we see these radically different reactions. The grandfather who's like, wow, I'm somebody to, to the king. And the other one who's like, he's not being perfectly traditional. Yep, sounds like a grandma. Yeah. Uh, and Kantu will show up a number of times later on. I should also point out, this episode represents the departure of Buckler from the series as it's drawn by Gil Kane. 
and inked by uh, Jansen. Now, Jansen had been doing inking. Gil Kane is most famous to a lot of people for drawing the Silver Age Green Lantern. But he was a freelance who did a lot of stuff. And it should be noted that for somebody who was known as sort of an early Silver Ageist, um, his work here is great. And he really picks up from Buckler. I don't think his work is quite as good as Buckler, personally. And I've never been a huge Gil Kane fan myself. But it's not bad at all. It's actually still quite good. And it doesn't look like a jarring different art style. Right. I think Gil Kane is enough of a craftsman that he was able to look at Buckler's work and say, I can mostly copy that. Because mm -hmm. you could tell it's a different artist, but like I said, it's not draw jarring. Drawing. Jarring. 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 Yeah. And you haven't been drinking, have you? Because, I mean, I'm having trouble with words, but I'm faculty and we're allowed to drink while we teach. I'm not teaching. But you're working. I'm not drinking. All right. <laughs> so, Gil Kane's here. Um, Don McGregor has said he doesn't know how Gil Kane got assigned to this issue. It was kind of weird and random. And Gil Kane, you know, it's all, you know, a low-selling Marvel comic is almost like one of those, we want to punish you. But... Gil, nobody ever wanted to punish Gil Kane. I mean, he was one of the great names and uh, I, a workman. So it's kind of weird. Anyway, we had, we we get a new villain named Baron Macabre. Nobody has ever cared. If he ever showed up again outside of Black Panther, I, I don't know it. Um, and then a character that got introduced in the last couple issues, Zatama, who's kind of an advisor to T'Challa is suddenly stabbed and dead. Nice knowing you. With a weird little short spear thing. Just, bleh, and he's gone. I'm noticing this is one issue, but there's a lot of killing. There's a lot of stuff, period. These issues move fast. And we're already, like, over 40 minutes into the class session. So this, so the Don McGregor time may end up being two, unless I can go really quick. So... There was Baron Macabre. There's a bunch of other villains. Uh, next issue at the opening, we get a phenomenal fight scene between T'Challa and a giant alligator. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. um, he finds out that Zatama is dead and Monica's handprints are on the weapon. That's not good. Nope. T'Challa holds a weapon. He says, and I'm just going to quote this here. I keep looking at this weapon that has your prints on it, Monica. They are of, they are your prints. And this is the spear they found in Zatama's body. Notice a tiny little thing. It's not like a big warrior spear. I keep looking at it, trying to figure out how the real murderer managed that little trick. There's something familiar and nagging about this spear, but I can't place one. Can't place what? Can't place this greasy substance smeared on it either. Now, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this for you. Um, in a previous issue, when they were all sitting around, T'Challa and her were eating off these things used to spear meat. And this is a meat spear. So I've got a couple questions. One, I don't, I'm not sure what they were eating. I think something like some sort of African deer or something. Mm -hmm. They can't figure out what kind of common animal they eat from grease it is. I mean... Can't they just, like, take this around to a chef and go, what is it? 
I mean, they eat it. You'd think they could recognize it. They've got flying cars. You'd think that if they don't have a forensic lab that can identify animal grease yet, that they could get access to one. I mean, he's a freaking Avenger. Has he not tested the grease? Is this the same T'Challa from the movies? I mean, he could slap this thing into a box, fly it to New York in a couple minutes, and be like, here's my Avengers card, test this shit. And he doesn't recognize the same utensil he eats with? I think I would recognize a fork if someone handed me a fork. Now, it is a tiny spear, but it's a tiny spear. And you'd think he'd recognize it. I, I understand the desire to make a murder plot, to f that Monica's framed as the outsider. It makes sense thematically. You know, it, it's, it, it's when she's revealed to not be the murderer, it's a relief. But a, there's a reason Don McGregor did not make a career as a crime novelist. And we're seeing it right here. Just saying. Yeah. But it doesn't really detract from the story. The story is still well done. And as the story proceeds, T'Challa ends up in another fight with both Baron Macabre and another villain who kind of looks like a fungus and a wildebeest hit by, by hornets had an ugly baby together while snorting coke and drunk. Um, you know, the fungi from Yugoth and the wildebeest from DC Comics got drunk in Tijuana together and had a biologically impossible baby, and it was this guy. What were the artists and the color on? I don't know, but here we are. Um, so, that's that. Uh, we do end up at the end here with a drawing of Kirby's original intended representation for the character of the Black Panther when he was still called the Cold Tiger. Kirby, please, no. Yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. It's good that they rejected it. But, you know, that's the brainstorming process, right? I mean, you're going to go through stuff that doesn't work before you get to something that does. Yeah. Um... So, Baron Macabre, we, we get a new character named Lord Carnage in the next issue. Again, characters that nobody's ever heard of again. But by this point, Klaus Janssen, the inker, is joined by Billy Graham, the artist. Now, Billy Graham is a black man from Brooklyn, or at least at this time was living in Brooklyn. I'm not sure which. Uh, I don't know if he was born there or not. And No relationship, by the way, to the televangelist Billy Graham, who is probably rotting in hell. Um, but Billy Graham is, in my mind, one of the great comic book artists in history. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is see the opening of this issue to see why. We have some tribal soldiers standing at the top. A series of white, bordered, with pink, purple color inside of the Black Panther twisting around as he goes down the mountain and then this three-dimensional once you slay the dragon text built into the side of the mountain coming out of it it's dramatic it's beautiful it's amazing it th this is why people 
buy a comic and want to go back and look at it again and again. I look at this and go, this is a title page that's gorgeous. It's mm -hmm. it's beautiful. It's just it's just fucking beautiful. Mm -hmm. And as we go on, we see the Black Panther goes, of course, to spoil the bad day, the bad guys' plots again. I won't go through all the details. You can read it for yourselves, even if you are theater majors. What is it with you and theater majors? I've only been doing that this class. I've been trying to lay off the art majors because you're an art major. I appreciate I mean, that. I'm trying to be kind here. I mean, do you want me to lay off theater majors too? Yes. Well, too fucking bad. <laughs> I mean, I'd lay off the poly... I, you know, I, I'd lay into the poli-sci and economics people, but they actually have to be able to read for their classes. I mean, not above a third grade level, but... So, in the course of things, they go to this village. They find the village has just been... I mean, demolished by Killmonger's people. And people are dead. And Taku, Taku, the pacifist, Taku, the man who doesn't want violence, loses his shit, goes up to Lord Carnage. And let's just imagine, you're, you are the kind of person who goes, I am Lord Carnage. And a guy named Taku, who's a pacifist, comes up and beats the shit out of you. I mean, this was the day. It's Lord intense. Carnage. Yeah, it's intense. The whole page has no dialogue on it. It's emotional. It's powerful. Um, the only sound represented on the page is a giant walk as Carnage is just beat. He shoots Taku as he approaches, who ignores the shots. And Taku proceeds to want to beat the man to death um, for the, the deaths he's caused of innocent people. Uh, T'Challa pulls him off. Uh, Wakabi is Wakabi has to come to grip with something. Wakabi always thought of Taku's pacifism as coming from cowardice, as a lack of strength. And he now understands that's not the case. And it ends with a great moment um, where T'Challa says, but oftentimes once you slay the dragon, its blood stains more than your hands. And that's what's happened to Taku. And Wakabi and Taku have both come to revelations. Wakabi about what was not weakness, and Taku about how his idealism of peace and common ground isn't always going to provide the answer. Mm -hmm. Because evil will take advantage. And it's a hard moment for them. Uh, as we move on, the next issue or so is kind of standard adventure fare. We do see the cars that were back in Fantastic Four make a return, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Or very close brothers of them. We get more comic scenes with the two putzes. Uh, we, we get these beautiful, beautiful Billy Graham opening pages again, where blood stains on virgin snow, and it's written across this rope bridge between mountains. It's great. Um... Look, look, if I sound like a fanboy, I am. Get over it. We do get to see him do these northern climbs. We see this weird chamber that can resurrect the dead. 
and give them enhanced superpowers that Killmonger's been using. Um, it. I need to check on this. I think it might tie indirectly into some Jack Kirby sort of Eternals mythos kind of stuff. You know, even before he wrote Eternals, Jack Kirby was kind of writing this mythology that that tied into Eternals later. Um, and and he certain he being the artist here is certainly channeling some Kirby in in this chamber design. And then we get Black T'Challa in the snow fighting a pack of evil white wolves and then abandoned alone. It's great. So we get we get in a few issues here. We have man against society. We have man against nature. We have man against man. We've got T'Challa facing every kind of conflict you can imagine, just one after another. The hits just keep on coming. Um, man versus the environment as he tries to survive the snow. And I love that when they tear his clothing, it looks ripped. And they show in this one scene where he's trudging through the snow, you know, this dark skin, but these bright yellow eyes coming out of the helmet. It's a dramatic moment. And it's a point of drama. One of the things that Don McGregor told people was never just do a yellow moon. When he talked to the artists, he says, he said, always have a friend, a Franz Frazetta moon. Everything is dramatic in the environment. And he pulls it off. And then we get, because there's not enough drama, we get giant man apes that attack that have to, with, with fangs that have to be beaten up. And then we have an abrupt shift. We move away from pulp man-apes with fangs to a scene of what looks like a very fancy modern building of some kind surrounded by tribal huts. Now, remember the grandmother who was appalled by Monica. Monica has attempted to befriend her. Monica is trying to fit in and has said that the woman is malnourished and brings her in. Now we see that shaman in this modern building. We get to see his office, which is a combination now of advanced science with tribal totem elements. And he attempts to give the old woman a shot, basically of vitamins and boosters to help her be healthier because she's malnourished. And she thinks it's evil. He tries to explain to her this like a potulus. It's like an old tribal supplement except in a modern form, but she's terrified by it. This is very different from the Wakanda represented in later series after the 2000s and in the movies where they've had advanced technology for a very long time. Mm -hmm. This is a society still attempting to come to terms with technology. Um, but that didn't stick. What stuck was the advanced technology, which eventually took over the mythical identity of Wakanda. And that move away from all these dramatic pulp adventures of T'Challa does not remain the sole thing, the, uh, the, sole, the, the older, the grandmother, because we also see Wakabi. We get to see Wakabi's personal life, including that things are not going well between him and his wife. In fact, they're having a yelling match and he loses his temper so badly that he slaps her. And his children see it. And it's a dark moment. And we begin to learn more about Wakabi, including that he's hurting. Now, his duties have pulled him away from his wife. She feels abandoned. She has other feelings that we'll hear about later. 
Um, but he hurts as a person. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes us look at Wakabi in a very personal light. A few pages follow with brilliant battle art between T'Challa and the apes, the white apes, which you might remember M'Baku, M'Baku represents the white ape tribe, at least as established later on. And then the cover of number 14, there are serpents in paradise, T'Challa in the mouth of a T-Rex, keeping his jaws open as it tries to bite him. There are dinosaurs in this now? There are dinosaurs, baby. That's not a serpent. That's a dinosaur. That is true. And it's amazing. Now, we get a new a new villain and a returning villain. And we get a weird old guy who we don't never really figure out what the hell his deal is. I mean, I think Don McGregor was dropping acid when he wrote him. And then we get dinosaurs. And y- you know what you say about dinosaurs in comics? What? They're awesome. That's what you say. Okay. So we get the comic relief some more. Uh, T'Challa deals with this whole mess. We get one dinosaur with eyes and a horn who's kind of like a T-Rex, but he looks like he's on acid. And that image lives in my nightmares. <laughs> I mean, he's like a smiling T-Rex with, with weird, wide-open black hole eyes and a tiny horn. I, I, yeah. I, I think that will live in my nightmares, too. Right. It's freaky. That's terrifying. It is freaking terrifying. What's that doing in a superhero I comic? I don't know. <laughs> now, this isn't a superhero comic anymore. This this is a King Arthur comic. This is T'Challa is the King Arthur archetype, and he has to go out there and fix his damn kingdom by himself. He doesn't have an administration. He needs to learn some freaking delegation. Clearly. <laughs> also, he apparently has no equivalent of a secret service. Just saying. So, the storyline continues. We have Taku talking to Venom. We have T'Challa fighting dinosaurs. We have some weird distortion of that dinosaur's head from earlier, who now oh. is turning into No-Face from Spirited Away, except with giant teeth fangs. And less wholesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad this is being read by college kids, college kids, because eight-year-olds would have had freaking nightmares from this. Yeah. It's bizarre. Then we have pterodactyls, um, a new villain called Salamander Cruel. What's that Ter- on his skin? Um, disease, basically. Okay. Yeah, don't give him hugs. Hugs bad for once, okay? <laughs> okay. But he is an archer, which makes him one of the smarter supervillains ever, because a, a smart supervillain wants to stay away from their target. Mm-hmm. Except then, like an idiot, he goes up to the water to try to verify he's dead. That no. never seems like a smart thing. Never do that. You double tap. You don't walk. Right. Uh, we get some black backflashes to T'Challa as a father. Uh, T'Challa as a son with his father. Um, and the storyline. Now, I will mention the pterodactyls. We'll see them again in a later series. The pterodactyls, when we get to the Black Panther storyline in Marvel Comics Presents, they will show up again. So remember, dinosaurs including pterodactyls in Wakanda. Oh, no, I just remembered the pterodactyls. Oh, no. You remember the pterodactyls? You remember the transatlantic pterodactyls? The pterodactyls and the frogs. 
we will talk about that again when we get there. But that's going to take a little bit because we have to go past the magic frogs first. I just have flashbacks. Do you remember the magic frogs? <laughs> magic frogs, pterodactyls in South Africa. We got to get through those first. And for that, we got to get through this. Um, more great pulp adventure scenes as T'Challa is thrown into thorny plants as he rides pterodactyls. And he ends up beaten up. He, it just keeps going. The pulp action keeps going. It's wonderful. We continue to have Billy Graham drawing. We find out that Billy Graham can draw women decently, too. Although, I'll be honest, I don't think he was as good at it uh, as his predecessor on the series was. But we get some poignant pages, including some pages that piss off later Marvel editors. Like one where all we get is a blacked-out silhouette on white of T'Challa talking to Monica with two small panels showing Wakandan landscapes, and the rest is all text. That's There's beautiful. There's very little art, but it's a beautiful page. Beautiful page. Um, and Billy Graham does this sort of thing sparsely, but he does it so well. And the next page, the, these little vertical panels showing them getting closer and then their silhouettes turn into these grayscale uh, images of just the highlights of their faces as they kiss. And then the silhouettes embracing. It is beautiful. beautiful. You know, th there's a lot of great artists in comic history. And Billy's Gra Billy Graham's name does not come up enough. Mm -hmm. So we see Taku in the cell talking with Venom. Uh, after seeing that panel, I don't know how people didn't realize they were gay. Oh, yeah. This, this is a pretty gay scene. He was not subtle. No, it was not subtle. They were throwing it out there. Uh, we find out some about Venom's background and Killmonger's background. Venom tries to escape. I'll leave all that for people to read. I don't think we need to go through it. And we find the Black Panther running into that little boy, Kantu, again. And... Kantu, of course, has gone through a lot of personal trauma. His father was killed by Killmonger's forces. Mm -hmm. And we see T'Challa stopping to take time to comfort a young boy. Mm -hmm. With all the stuff going on, all the problems in Wakanda, he can still stop to do this. And that's important, I think. Mm -hmm. And then he's back on it. He's back on the hunt. He has to find Venom. He has to neutralize him. Uh, he does this. And then we get to the climax of the Panther's Rage. And we get fighting. I mean, there's a whole lot of fighting. A, the palace is destroyed. People are shot at. There's all kinds of drama. Uh, huge fighting. We do find out that Wakabi has lost his arm. It, it was pretty brutal and he lost his arm. A bunch of people ran for the hills. Villains attempt to break out of the prison where T'Challa has imprisoned them. And they end up, T'Challa and Killmonger, back at... The waterfalls. The waterfalls. To fight. Killmonger prepares to throw him off again. And Kantu, the young boy, comes running and slams into Killmonger's back, sending him over the falls to die. It is not the Black Panther, not T'Challa, not the king 
who ultimately destroys Killmonger, is the young boy, who represents the soul of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. I mean, he represents the spirit of Wakanda. So T'Challa has been fighting to save Wakanda. T'Challa has seen himself as the king fighting to save his people. But it is ultimately the people who save him. Mm-hmm. It is an important and powerful theme. And that's the end. Uh, there's a follow-up issue, an aftermath. Uh, you know, it has some interesting carry-on points about what happens to people. But I really only want to focus on one. And we're over the one-hour mark. But... It's one of the most powerful points. We see Wakabi standing there with his now robotic arm that the technology of Wakanda has been able to replace. And he's talking to his wife and they're splitting up and their children are there. And they have to talk about their split and that they're not going to be together anymore. And she says to him, Chandra, uh, They say this isn't the cowardly way out, ending it all face-to-face. But I think it would have been easier on both of us if we'd kept it less personal. She's talking about their divorce. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, this was during a time in his life when Don McGregor was splitting up with his wife, too. Oh. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. This is written from the heart. Yeah. And then he says, now, why are they splitting she has said in past issues, because it was commitment to his duty, his service to the king, that he wasn't there. And in the real world, Don McGregor is lo- at leaving his writing duties for Marvel. He was working as a copy proofer during the day and writing at night. And he was leaving his writing, his editorial duties, trying to save his marriage by working less. Mm-hmm. And here, M'Baku is his, his stand-in. And he says, not M'Baku, sorry, Wagabi. Uh, he says, that's what we became, Chandra. Less personal. There's a word I should have learned before, affection. I never knew what it meant to me until my need for it was so great. This is him saying he needs affection, he needs love. And he wasn't getting it from her. And he's not blaming her. Just saying this was his problem. And she says back, and I could no longer give it. Yes, I know. I once thought affection important. It seems less so now. Damn, that's cold. I can feel that from over here. And she says, we change positions. Come, children. And he says, where are you going? And she says, away. Not far enough to escape the guilt that hounds me. I can't go that far. But she's still leaving. Um, And in an earlier section, when she was in the hospital room with him, she said, I have lived in your shadow, and I'm tired of that. And he said, I never tried to put you in my shadow. And she said, it doesn't matter that you didn't want me in your shadow. It doesn't matter you wanted me to be able to stand on my own. That's where I was anyway. That gets you right in the heart. It's brutal. Uh, The rest of the issue is people shooting at people and getting beat up. And it's fun, but we don't need to go over it here. 
You can read it for yourselves, uh, unless you're a physical education major, and then get a lit major to read it to you. Um, so, that was I, fair. What, what, what do you, that one was actually fair? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, what are you feeling? We're, we're more, we're probably two thirds of the way through Don McGregor's run on Black Panther. Uh, we'll finish it up next week. It's a lot. It's a lot. He worked a lot into these issues. It's good. It, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's great. It it stands up in absolutely every way to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't have as high opinion of the next run. I think it was ambitious, but I think it failed in a lot of ways. And Don McGregor gave him a lot more white people, but Marvel wasn't happy with that. <laughs> and we'll talk about why more next week. For this not being the full run, and this only being about half, you said, of the full run? A little more than half. It feels like years of pages. Yeah. Some people have called this Marvel's first graphic novel. And, and I think that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And much of this was kind of under the radar. I mean, he got crap for it. But honestly, if this had been a higher selling title and had more editorial overview, he would not have been allowed to do a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And thank God he was able to. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to end it here and we'll be back next week with Black Panther versus the Ku Klux Klan. Woo! Bye. <laughs>